All right, so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to live a fulfilled life. Um, and anybody know where I'm pulling that phrase from? Anybody have a guess? Um, that is not where I'm pulling it from. Maybe you read about it recently in the Chicago Tribune. I don't know. Nope. One person read that article. Thanks, Josh, for laughing. Uh, so let me read for you a passage. Um, one of the things that I like to do is I like to stand when uh, it's the scriptures that we're reading to differentiate what are my words and what are the words of God. So I'm going to stand. If you would like to stand with me while I read this, uh, that would be acceptable. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it, easy, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is possible, impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. You may be seated. Thank you. So anybody want to take a guess what part of that I pulled out for fulfilled life? Right, so we translate that as eternal life, and that's it's not a, a terrible translation, but I don't think it's the, the best translation. And I can give you some defense for my opinion on that. Um, because here's this rich young ruler who has garnered a lot of wealth, has followed the commandments. So the question that he would be asking Jesus, he would perceive he was already on the route to the world to come because he's received blessings from God, right? He's perceived that he's received blessings from God. So clearly following the commands and everything. But what he's lacking in his experience in life is a fullness of life. He doesn't feel like his life feels fulfilled, right? And so he's asking, what is there about life that I cannot see? And this is an interesting thing, uh, for me at least, uh, when I think about the Greek where it talks about uh, where maybe we might translate it as eternal, it's like eon, right? Or aeon. And, and so in that, it's closer than eternal, like we might talk about eternal or infinity. What it's closer to is when you get home and you tell someone at your house, I got stuck in line forever, right? 
the line at the grocery store took forever. That's closer to what the way that word would have been used than our concept of eternal life when we talk about sitting on a cloud playing a harp from now until we get bored of playing a harp and we step up to like something else. I don't know. So for this group of people, that, that idea was more so about something unseen, a time unseen, or a fullness unseen, right? And so we talk about fullness of time, we talk about fullness of life. And I would argue here that the person is asking, how do I live, how do I experience a life that is fuller than this one? And I don't know about you guys, but there's times in my life where I'm like, is this it, really? Like, is this all that I have? Like, is there something more than this? And I might be able to look around, you know, and everyone says, well, count your blessings, right? And this is kind of what this gentleman's doing. He counts his blessings and he says, I've gotten everything. I followed the commands and I've, I've gained all these blessings, yet still something doesn't seem full. And what's Jesus's response to him? Sell everything, give it to the poor, right? So why do you think that is? So what, what makes you think that Jesus's response to this question, because if this is truly about eternal life, how many of us are in trouble because you haven't sold everything and gave it to the poor, right? This is the one moment when uh, all of our friends who read the Bible literally say, this is just for this individual person. It's not for all of us, right? Um, so what... What is it, why do you think Jesus tells him this? What is it about what this person is experiencing or not experiencing that Jesus's response to him is, sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me. I love in one of the gospels, it says, and he went away and Jesus loved him. One of my favorite lines that gets left out of this story, right? We wanna make it like he couldn't give it up, but yet it says, and he went away and Jesus loved him. So why do you think Jesus tells him to sell everything, give it to the poor? Why do you think that? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, Evan. I just want to say our two visitors are kicking your ass. I'm just saying. Go ahead, Evan. Mm. Okay. Sarah?
Yeah, Mark. It describes us. Sanchez or Cloody? Okay. Excellent. So can any one of you defend your answer with scripture? <laughs> Is that enough time for your Google search? Evan? Okay. <laughs> uh, so let me read from you for you from the text, because the rich young ruler talks about all the blessings that he's received, correct? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And therefore in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'd want to argue that the problem the rich young ruler faces is that the blessings of life became the very anchor that kept him from experiencing faith and a fullness of life, right? For most of us, if we are being in a setting where we feel like we're being blessed, we try to figure out how do I stay in that same spot, right? We just, I don't want to move. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to do anything different because this is a blessing, right? But according to the text, God blesses the faithful in order for them to bless others. And it's in that blessing of others that we begin to experience a fullness of life. We can't experience a fullness of life if we just keep all the blessings, right? So this rich young ruler is expressing this moment where I have received so many blessings in my life. I've received so much. I have followed the scripture. I've followed. And if you ever noticed the things that he's following are not things necessarily about giving to other people, right? I haven't done these wrong things, right? But this picture of the text is that this idea that if, if God blesses you, and in the rich young ruler's case, that was financially. For some of us, that's in skills. For some of us, that's in intellect. For some of that, us, it's in any litany of things, right? And that, have you ever noticed that maybe you become unsatisfied when the things that you are blessed in, you haven't had an opportunity in a while to share them with other people, right? Maybe you're a fantastic cook and you missed getting to share and cook a meal for other people. Maybe you are a fantastic musician and you've not had the opportunity to share that blessing with others recently or an artist or whatever it might be. I can tell you my personal experience that when we first moved to Blacksburg and I didn't have the opportunity to teach and study and disciple, I was, I was miserable. And that moment when you finally get to step back into that space where you get to care for others, you get to share the blessing that you have with others. Would you agree that there's a, a fullness that you experience that you feel in some way? Think about this in Deuteronomy. We love this passage here. We talk about it all the time in Deuteronomy 15. What does it say? Remember, if you do everything I've commanded, there'll be no need in your midst, right? And so think about that. This idea of a fulfilled life is that if all of the faithful took all the blessings that we each have garnered and we were to gather them together and then redistribute them to everyone, quickly we would begin to experience something like the fullness of life. So what are your thoughts right now? Because I don't think the things that were suggested that this passage could mean are necessarily wrong. I think those are good values, and I think those are things we could learn from, and I think there's truth in saying there are things that keep us and oppress us from experiencing that. I just think it's a right biblical concept, wrong passage, right? I think this passage is talking about something else. Um, so what do, you, what do you think about that idea? Any thoughts or feedback? 
our favorite kind. There's a biblical analogy that's a little less messy. If you if you want, I can share that one. What's that? Okay, well, Wade's is Wade's ideas are usually better than Jesus's, but not Jesus's, but two T's, just Jesus's, but. Um, in the text, that same similar analogy is the analogy of a cistern versus living water, right? A cistern gathers water, it gathers rainwater, and it slowly fills up, but it becomes stagnant. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to walk into a cistern. I actually had the, uh, I don't, Opportunity is the right word because I wouldn't call it favorable. I actually had the opportunity to walk down into a cistern in the Middle East, and um, it was disgusting. And to think that it was a water supply was shocking. I mean, I'm not kidding you when I say there were animals not swimming. They were floating, but they weren't swimming in the water. Yes. No, there was no, there was no, 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 there was no movement. Um, and it smelled horrible in this space. And Jesus imagines that there are some of us who have a life that is much like a cistern, where the blessings of rain fill us, but then in some way we are uh, holding on to that water and that water becomes stagnant, and that water becomes unhealthy, and that water becomes something that is not as useful to others. And then to compare that to living water, which in case you don't know, living water actually meant moving water, right? That's what it meant. So a river was living water. Um, a, uh, like I, in the Middle East also when I was there, they had areas where springs had come up and they built troughs at the end of the spring, at the end of the head of the spring, and the, the water would run down the trough. And so the water was always moving. And this was the place that a lot of the shepherds would take their, their sheep uh, to, to drink. And so living water is this idea of moving water. And moving water creates life, abundance. It creates like this lush environment, right? Whereas a cistern, everything around it kind of dies. The ground, especially if it has a crack in it, the water, the ground becomes saturated and it actually becomes unhealthy around the cistern. So if this is the case, if this is the imagery or Wade's better analogy of constipation, what do you imagine then is, is our call as attempting to be members of the faithful? Um, because I think many of us sit at different times in our life and think, I think I said it earlier, right? And it, it hits home for me, and maybe it's not the phrasing you would use, but for me, sometimes I'm like, is this it? Like, is this, is this the totality? Is this all there is? And I think that 
when we attempt to talk about community, when we attempt to talk about what does it mean to do life together, we're not necessarily uh, always, we're usually looking at how do we give from our extra as opposed to how do we give from our blessings. And those can be the same thing, right? The extra can be the same thing as blessings, but a blessing isn't always part of the extra. So what do you think our call is to experience? And can you think of any other passages in the text? I, you know, hopefully there's a potential of dozens and dozens of, of passages that could come to mind for this. But, but what do you think about this? What do you think about this idea? Sure. Thank you. Anybody else? Evan and then Mitch. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Mitch? Yeah. Um, I guess that's the way I kind of envision life. Like, you know, blessings uh, mm. Right. Right. Thank you. Anybody else? Bree? Yeah.
less I have, the more I'm able to give, and the more less I end up giving. Right. Do you remember when we talked uh, several months ago about the land of milk and honey and how uh, uh, Israel, the rabbis imagined that they had to pass through the land of milk in order to be able to be faithful in a land of honey? Because a land of milk means that you had to depend on God, that God would provide enough grass for your, because milk was where you would uh, raise animals to graze. They provided milk, right? And so you had to depend on God. There was a huge dependency on God in a land of milk. But a land of honey was where, the, where it just naturally produced all of this, these riches and these blessings. And that if you only ever experienced the land of honey, you would believe that that was your right to land of honey and you would be keeping it. It would be a Sodom and Gomorrah type setting where you have viewed these blessings were yours and that nobody else had access to them, right? In fact, I would argue Abraham's teaching of you will, I will bless you in order to be a blessing is part of the story we should think about when we think of the Sodom and Gomorrah story because here's a space that was blessed beyond imagination and they did not give any of it away. They did not use it to bless others. And that was the greatest affront to God was a city that was blessed that did not bless others. That was the, and I just think, man, today, does the church look more like the city of Sodom or does it look more like the kingdom of heaven? And I think, unfortunately, we like to hang on to our blessings more like Sodom than we do to share our blessings with others. Wade? Mm. Yeah, I think this is also about the way that we treat people. Um, I think that in some ways, uh, the church has used that as an out at times. That, well, I treat people nicely. Uh, yeah, they're starving to death, but I understand their plight. <laughs> Uh, and so I think that we need to have, it's a both and, right? That we both need to uh, make sure that the, the blessings that we're giving, the corners of our field weren't spiritual corners of the field. They were agricultural. They were food and sustenance for neighbors. Uh, but in the same sense, we need to take the blessings of mercy and forgive others in the same way that God forgives us, right? Um, that's the way that we need to be treating others. So, yeah, I agree, Chris. Thank you. So listen to this passage, because I think this passage is also really important for us when we're pondering this idea of fulfilled life, because some of us might say, but I'm in a bad spot. You know, maybe even feel like exiled in some way. And like, but I, I don't have anything, right? Life is, is bad right now. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I think it's important for us to remember that even in the despair of exile, the uprootedness of losing home and freedoms, that God still imagined that his faithful would be able in some way to take whatever glimpses of blessings they had and use them to benefit the space they were in. So what are your thoughts about that? I don't think you're alone in that feeling, Mark, so, but thank you for sharing that. Yes, Sarah. You know, I think, uh, Alicia, can I grab you one second? Uh, I think one of the things for me, as you were talking, is the other night, Tana was so kind. She stopped at the grocery store and she bought me a box of Entenmann chocolate frosted donuts. 
you know, the ones that when you bite, they kind of crunch with that chocolate on the, you know, the chocolate froster ones. Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff. Anyhow, uh, no, thank you. Uh, not uh, Entman croutons. Uh, but I just, I went down in the basement with them, turned off the lights, <laughs> popped that container open. We <laughs> put on some crispy music. And I gorged myself, and I ate all but two of them, which June finished off in the morning. <laughs> and let me tell you something. There's a difference between being full and being fulfilled, right? And I was full, and I was sick. <laughs> And I was miserable. I, I enjoyed every second of the just, you know, I didn't even bother chewing. I just like pushed them down, right? And I enjoyed every moment of that, but I gorged myself. And that fullness feels great when you're doing the consuming, right? Um, in fact, I think somewhat, Amanda, kind of what you were even talking about at the beginning is, is this idea that we just, and we confuse that. We take our blessings and we're just like, you know, and then we just sit there and pat our belly for a few moments. And it feels really good until about 10 minutes later. And then it's like, oh, this feels gross. And for us with blessings, it might take us a little longer than 10 minutes to get to that gross moment. Uh, usually it takes until we get our bills for whatever we spent our blessings on. Um, but I just think about that and, and I, I think that that's an important thing to, to differentiate. I think most of us have been taught to live a full life and because we've been taught to, be a, to live a full life, often that is very uh, greedy, often that is very selfish, often that is very uh, gorge worthy. And really what the text offers us, if, if we live a life that reflects scripture, we will experience a fulfilled life because we trim some of that. Like I wouldn't have ate all of those donuts if I would have followed the corners of my field. But in all fairness, donuts don't have corners. So I was, I was okay. I feared someone else already trimmed the corners. Um, and so, but, but that's important for us to remember. Had I in some way shared those with friends, I probably would have enjoyed them a little bit more. Uh, and my dog would not have got two of them in the morning. Alicia Kay. Yeah. 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 Right. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think for us in in Western in a Western culture, and you know, I can only speak for the United States uh, and my short experience in it, but. I would say we've been taught that to ask for help is a sign of failure. Whereas in other places in the world, uh, receiving help is a sign of community, <laughs> right? And I think that kind of shows some of the flaws of our thinking. Did you have some? Uh, that, go for it. My mind keeps going back to your comment about the cistern earlier. Mm. And the variance between function Mm. The function of the cistern is to hold water. The function of the young ruler was to gather and grow and develop. But without the purpose of then floating that out into the world, yeah. the water being drawn from the cistern and therefore making it living water, mm. sustaining everything around it, and sharing what he had out into the world as his purpose. Yeah. I think in our society we become so fixated on our function, which is to make the money, have the house, raise the children, whatever it is. We lose some of our purpose, which is right. to look after ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. That's excellent. Wade, were you able to capture that to share that with online? Okay. Um, I think it also kind of goes into then the imagery in the text that we read, right? About it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I have heard some strange teachings on that. I want to first tell you it is not true that there is an opening in the Temple Mount or in the walls that uh, that was a, looked like an eye of a needle. That is not true. They do not exist. If that, if you have heard that, uh, you know, somehow nicely let uh, someone know uh, that uh, that is not accurate. What most likely it means in Arabic or Aramaic, rather, uh, the word camel can also be used for rope. And so it makes way more sense to say a rope passing through the eye of a needle than it does a camel passing through an eye of a needle. Now, think about it this way, kind of what you were saying, is that if we live in such a way where we continue to gather and gather and gather, we become more and more robust, right? We start out as this thread, uh, and as we gather blessings and don't pass them on, we become more and more thick. And that, in that thickness, it becomes more complicated for us to live a life that honors God. It's not about money. It's not that a wealthy person can't be faithful. It's that it's more and more difficult as blessings come in and stick to you and you hang on to them and you become defensive or you become a, a hoarder of blessings that at that point, it becomes more difficult to function well 
in the kingdom of heaven. Does that make sense? So I think sometimes we read this passage and we want to make this about poverty. We want to make this about we need to be poor. We need to give everything away. And we villainize people who are affluent. I don't think that that's what this text is saying. Solomon was affluent. But instead, it's talking and there was affluent people that supported Jesus's ministry. Right? So it's not about affluence. It's about how sticky are your blessings. Right? I don't know if this imagery works for you, but it's delightful in my mind, so I'm going to go with it. Tana, when we first met, I was, we were someplace, and someone threw, you remember those little dartboards with the ball with the Velcro on it that you could, they just kept throwing them, and they were sticking in Tana's hair, and I was amazed by this. And I just think about that picture of blessings just sticking. <laughs> You're welcome, honey. Uh, that, like, that, that's kind of how it is, that sometimes the blessings hit us, and they stick, and eventually we just say, nope, they're mine, and then we aren't willing to share them. And the more that that happens, the more we feel entitled to the blessings, the more we feel we deserve those blessings, the more we feel that those are in some way God's penance for my life, right? That God pays penance to us through blessing. And because of that, then, we no longer function in a manner that gives them away. Uh, Amanda. Yeah, I was thinking about a little bit what Chloe said earlier, um, but touching on the mercy and forgiveness that we've been given, mm. and that particularly the American church has looked at themselves, oh, and we've received this much, and become gatekeepers as to who else can receive that mercy. Oh, absolutely. And, forgiveness, and has closed themselves off. So doing so much justice in the world. Yeah. Because um, they've decided they get to keep that uh, mercy and forgiveness in there, and that's, that is that plug that forms. Yeah, agreed. Mitch? You know, uh, further on in the passage, we read one of the statements that I think would be effective reaction. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they, because in ancient times, you know, it was, it was an easy way. And guess what? It's not just ancient times because we still do it today. We look at people who have like, especially in the Christian circle. So say we see a Christian who is, becomes famous and becomes popular. And we look at that and say, God's blessing their ministry right? And I wouldn't disagree. It's very possible God is blessing their ministry. The critique that I think Jesus would have is what are they doing with that blessing, right? Uh, are, if God is blessing them, are they turning around then and blessing others? And, you know, and I don't think in that situation, it's just about blessing others by writing another book, Right? I think it's blessing others in you have means to care for other people. Are you doing that in other significant ways? I think that's really important. I want to go a little bit back to what Alicia Kay was talking about with other places in the world. Because when I was in Turkey, uh, one of the most amazing things for me was we had been walking through the desert. I, 
at least to me, it was a desert. I don't know if they considered it a desert there, but we're walking. There's like 20 of us Americans, just filthy, stinky, sweaty, walking for miles. And we see this group of people coming towards us and they're moving relatively fast. And in good old American fashion, a couple of our sphincters clenched up a little bit. If you know what I mean? We got a little nervous. Bree, it's okay. We got nervous as we see this cloud, this smoke cloud, this dust cloud moving towards us. Of, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And by the time the cloud gets to us, we realize the cloud is singing and dancing. And they were all about three and a half feet tall. Jawas. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done that's awesome we're out that's fantastic oh yes Wade just won church uh yes Jawas uh these are not the nerds you are looking for um but anyhow uh it was children in case you didn't pick up on that uh and they came out from the town that was just over the next hill because word got back to them, not via cell phone, not live tweeting us, word got back to them, a runner from one of the shepherds, one of the people, ran to the town and said, there are a group of people coming. They let out the school early, they sent the children out to greet us, and the kids brought us singing the entire way into the town, at which when we arrived, the mayor was there and said a blessing over us, uh, and I don't know if it was Christian or not. I didn't understand what they said. We just knew it was a blessing. And then they took us inside the school where they had made a meal in the 45 minutes it took them, took us to get there. And then we played soccer all afternoon with this group of Jawas. And it was amazing. And I was blown away by this because I just think about us, and I don't know about you, but growing up, when there would be two or three people walking down the street and it looked like they were going to knock on our door, we had a drill down. Lights off, blinds down, lay on the floor. I don't know why we laid on the floor. I'm not sure how that one made sense, but we laid on the floor because we wanted to make certain we did not have to entertain any guests. For them, they ran out to us. And at first I thought, okay, this is an anomaly, right? And then we were... Uh, we were walking and we walk into somebody's vineyard. We don't know the people, nothing. We were walking through their vineyard and some older gentleman, probably in his seventies came running out. And again, you'd think we were starting to get the picture, but we're thinking that that staff in his hand was a shotgun, right? And it wasn't, it was just a staff and it was not a cell phone either. Uh, that was a bad, bad connection, but anyhow, comes running out with the staff and begins to tell us all about his field. And again, we didn't understand it, but he was like picking up the, the grapes and showing us and, and talking about the vines and everything and giving us grapes to taste. And we're thinking if you wandered on to someone's field in the US, it would not be a staff that they were carrying, or at least they'd be swinging it. Then another situation, we were in another community and it's the only convenience store I saw the entire time I was there, but there was a little store 
And on the parking lot of the store were these huge tarps laid out. And on them, I kid you not, I've never seen bundles of grapes. Like my idea of a bundle of grapes is like this. But there were bundles of grapes that it would have taken two of us to carry on these tarps. And they were setting them out to dry. And when we're walking by them, some people come out of the field and they take us and they walk us over to them and they're like, pick. And we're like, uh, okay. And we're like, and they're like, no, take a bundle. And they wanted all of us to take a bunch of grapes. You know, it's funny because when I tell some of these stories, when I came back, people's, a lot of people's gut reaction was, well, they, they knew you were American, so they thought you had money or they thought you had stuff to give them. And not a single time were we ever asked for anything. We, had to, we ended up carrying, because we had backpacks filled with stuff. I mean, we were carrying loads of things with us everywhere we went. And we ended up carrying pounds and pounds more of stuff because we learned we could not say no as we passed through these towns. And they loaded us up with more food and more fruit and more things. Uh, and it was amazing. And when you think about this, it's no mistake that Messiah shows up in the most hospitable place on the planet, which I would argue was the Middle East. It was so hospitable. We were talking to them, and in Turkey, there is no crime because there's no reason for it. Because the neighbors will give you whatever you need. Crime is non-existent in that area. You know where the crime is? In the tourist spots. And it's not usually Turkish people committing it. This to me was, was mind-boggling. And as Alicia Kay, you said, these were some of the communities that at least our perception was this is a poor town. And yet for them, the greatest joy was sharing the blessings they had with us. I kid you not when I tell you the kids were dancing and singing. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world that they were getting to treat us to lunch. Right? This is something that I think we, unfortunately, being raised in a very Western culture that is narcissistic at best, has robbed us of. There is a, a crime prevention uh, billboard series that went up uh, a few years ago. And it wasn't just in Toledo, but I remember seeing it in Toledo. I think it was like five or six years ago that says, stop crime, smile at a stranger. And it's actually been demonstrated that people just making eye contact and smiling at one another actually reduces the threat of crime. Yet most of us spend most of our time with our eyes down, heads down, not trying to see people. And I just think if we were to just follow the commands of God, there would be nobody in need in our midst. And what a powerful thing. Any thoughts before I wrap up? And you get a blessing, and you get a blessing, and you get a blessing. But then you get to take that and you get to be a blessing. 
Right. Yep. Right. Right. The 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 blessing only falls apart when I let the fruit rot in my backpack. That's when the blessing falls apart. Which is where a lot of us end up, right? Uh, think about the number of times when someone's like, "Hey, do you happen to have X, Y, or Z?" And you're like, "Yeah, I, I have one. It's in my garage. I haven't used it in like five years." Like, ever have that type of conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like, that's a, that's a normal conversation to have, and it's because we would rather not rather. I think it's not, that we just don't even think about it. I don't think it's anything malicious necessarily. We just don't think about it, and we, we let the fruit of someone else's blessing rot in our backpack. Um, any other thoughts or questions? Okay, let me tell you what I want you to walk away from here with. I want you to walk away today celebrating and thinking about how good our community has been in a community that we have not yet experienced the fullness of sharing our blessings with one another. And yet it has been good and it has been rich. Because let me tell you, Tana and I moved back to Toledo not because Toledo has the best gray skies in the world. We didn't move back to Toledo because it has the flattest flat in the world. Uh, we did not move back to Toledo for anything other than we remembered the blessings of friendships that we have here. That's why we moved back. And I want you to know that in, in the midst of all of the things that I see in our community that's developing at Dust, I think there's more and more ways that we all can share the blessings that we have. And I think how much more, right? Not, not any guilt or shame, but just how much more as we begin to wrestle with what does it mean to leave the corners of my field? What does it mean to say I could leave bigger corners of my field or uh, any of that stuff? And so I would hope that today when you leave, it's not about uh, feeling ashamed or feeling guilt because that's, that's not how I like to teach. I want you instead to leave and think about what are the things, what are the blessings that I've received that have been sitting in my garage for five years. <laughs> and the, the garage doesn't necessarily need to be a literal garage, right? What, what fruit of benefits have I received that are rotting or about to rot in my backpack that I can share with others? And I'm gonna give you a great example of how to start. Today after church, we're inviting everyone to our house to help us pack, to move. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. Yeah, um, I'm teasing about that being, uh, wait, no, I'm not, I don't know what I am right now. Now it's just, I don't know how to get out of this. So that, I thought you were gonna say, I thought you were gonna say in a cloud of dust. <laughs> Well, let me tell you one way that I can, I, I want to express an honor right now. This week, the Millimans 
have blessed our family with food. They have given us meals, you too? And they have given us, us food. They've made us dinner several times this week. And I, Sarah <laughs> made it all. Sometimes her delivery boy dropped it off. Um, but I, I just, our community does do this. And so many people, and Bree came over and helped pack. And, you know, Mitch has met me on occasion when I needed to talk and brought me down to the church. People have given me rides since I'm not allowed to drive currently. All of these things, like I experience this in our community. And that's what gives me great hope and joy and makes me bless God for all of you. So let me pray over you. And then uh, are we, we have another, is it a reading first or music for, I don't know. We're going to actually do prayer requests after I pray for you. Hold on. Lord, you are good. Um, and I think about Matthew 6, where you talk about all of your acts of righteousness, of blessing us, and all the things that you give us. Lord, may we be a people like Abraham who desire to take those blessings and to pass them on, to turn them into blessings for others. Uh, may we not be a people that stand still when we're blessed and only move when we're in chaos. Lord, I love you. I'm so grateful for this community of people that you've surrounded us with, both here in Toledo and those around the country that join us online. Lord, um, so many dear friends and faces and, and places that I just bless you for. Lord, I pray that not only can we be a blessing within our own community, Lord, but may we begin to wrestle with what it looks like as a church to take the blessings of our church and begin to bless those around us. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I give you all the glory. Amen.